Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Thank you for standing by. This is the conference operator. Welcome to the first quarter 2020 earnings conference call for Canadian utilities. As a reminder, all participants are in listen-only mode and the conference is being recorded. After the presentation, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. To join the question queue, you may press star, then one on your telephone keypad. Should you need assistance during the conference call, you may signal an operator by pressing star and zero. I would now like to turn the conference over to Mr. Miles Dugan, Director, Investor Relations and External Disclosure. Please go ahead, Mr. Dugan. Thank you, Sachi, and good morning, everyone. We're pleased you could join us for our first quarter 2020 conference call. With me today is President and Chief Executive Officer Siegfried Kiefer, Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer Dennis DeChamplain, Senior Vice President and Controller Derek Cook, and Vice President Finance, Treasury, and Risk, Colin Jackson. Siegfried and Dennis will begin today with some opening comments on recent company developments and our financial results. Following their prepared remarks, we will take questions from the investment community. Please note that a replay of the conference call and a transcript will be available on our website at canadianutilities.com and can be found in the investors section under the heading events and presentations. I'd like to remind you all that our remarks today will include forward-looking statements that are subject to important risks and uncertainties. For more information on these risks and uncertainties, please see the reports filed by Canadian Utilities with the Canadian Securities Regulators. And finally, I'd like to point out that during this presentation, we may refer to certain non-GAAP measures such as adjusted earnings, adjusted earnings per share, funds generated by operations, and capital investment. These measures do not have any standardized meaning under IFRS, and as a result, they may not be comparable to similar measures presented in other entities. And now I'll turn the call over to Siegfried for his opening remarks. Thank you, Miles, and good morning, everyone. It is indeed a pleasure for me to be joining you, and I'd like to thank each of you for joining us today for our first quarter 2020 conference call. I'll ask Dennis to give you the first quarter financial highlights in a minute. But before that, I'd like to talk about how Canadian Utilities is addressing the COVID-19 pandemic and the slowdown in global economic activity. The changes we are all facing have caused far-reaching concern and economic hardship for consumers, businesses, and communities across the globe, and most certainly in our home province here in Alberta. In this time of uncertainty, our people are working hard to ensure that we continue to support our customers and the communities that depend on our essential services. The pandemic and slowdown in economic activity did not have a material impact on Canadian Utilities adjusted earnings in the first quarter of 2020. We have considerable resiliency given the regulatory and long-term contracted nature of our earnings. The quality of our overall earnings has improved substantially in the last decade. In 2019, 95% of Canadian utilities' adjusted earnings 
came from the regulated utilities. This change has led to greater predictability in our earnings and cash flows. But the long-term impact on Canadian utilities of this crisis cannot be fully determined until the depth and length of the current economic slowdown is known. In the near term, we are responding to the situation by focusing on ways to enhance our financial strength. To optimize our free cash flow and liquidity in this uncertain period, we are reviewing our 2020 capital investment plan. Our capital investment is targeted in our utilities and in our long-term contracted energy infrastructure. If there are ways to optimize our capital plan and postpone certain projects in order to reduce the burden on our customers, we will look at that. We are also committed to doing our part to limit the spread of COVID-19 by following the guidance of local health authorities and governments. In February, we activated our pandemic response plan. We implemented enhanced protocols aimed at protecting the health of our employees and our customers while sustaining our essential services. We continue to actively monitor the situation and will act accordingly as new information becomes available. I am very pleased and proud to share with you that our employees have stepped up in this challenging time. They have performed in an exemplary fashion to continue to provide safe and reliable service to our customers. As we move beyond 2020, it is vital that we remain, that we remain focused on what we do best, driving operational and regulatory excellence, maintaining affordable, reliable, and sustainable energy delivery, ensuring the safety of our people, our customers, and communities, and creating long-term value for our share owners. Continuing to execute on these fundamental priorities will enable Canadian utilities to pursue opportunities for the longevity and prosperity of our businesses in Alberta and abroad. And now I will turn the call over to Dennis for his comments on our financial performance. Thanks, Siegfried. And good morning, everyone. Canadian Utilities achieved adjusted earnings of $179 million in the first quarter of 2020, compared to $200 million in the first quarter of 2019. Lower earnings this quarter were mainly due to the sale of the Canadian fossil fuel-based electricity generation portfolio in the third quarter of 2019 and the sale of Alberta Powerline in the fourth quarter of 2019. We received gross proceeds of about $1 billion for the sales of those businesses and increased our financial strength. In essence, we were paid up front for their future earnings streams. That does mean that we are not recording their quarterly earnings today. Excluding the foregone earnings from the sales of those businesses, our adjusted earnings were actually $8 million higher in the first quarter compared to last year. And this was mainly due to continuing cost efficiencies across our businesses, utility rate-based growth, and lower income taxes. During the quarter, we're also quite active on the capital investment front. We completed and placed into service the Pembina Keepels Natural Gas Transmission Pipeline, which is the largest project in our natural gas transmission division's history. This project was completed with zero lost time injuries, ahead of schedule, and below the $230 million budget. 
This 59-kilometer high-pressure natural gas pipeline supports coal-to-gas conversion of power producers in the Genesee and surrounding areas of Alberta, reducing emissions through the use of clean-burning natural gas. Over the eight months of construction, the project employed more than 600 people from local and nearby Indigenous communities. Meanwhile, construction continues on the fifth salt cavern at our hydrocarbon storage facility near Fort Saskatchewan, Alberta, with full operation targeted for late 2021. And in Chile, the first three megawatts of our solar generation facility are expected to be operational in the second half of this year, with the remaining 15 megawatts scheduled for completion next year. As Siegfried noted, we are looking at our 2020 capital investment plan to see if there are ways to put less of a burden on our customers in these challenging economic times. In March, the Government of Alberta announced that residential, farm and small commercial customers would be given the option to defer payment of their utility bills considering the pressures arising from the COVID-19 pandemic. The Government has indicated that the initial payment deferral will last for 90 days and the final terms of the program are expected to, be, expected to be completed in the very near future. We already have short-term financing options in place if we are asked to supply financial liquidity for this program. The Bank of Canada has announced a Commercial Paper Purchase Program, or CPPPP, I think there's another P, maybe not, uh, to support the continuous functioning of financial markets. Due to our strong credit ratings, and existing commercial paper programs, both Canadian Utilities and CU Inc. are eligible to participate in this program. Through this program, CU and CU Inc. can issue up to an aggregate of $875 million in commercial paper. If Canadian Utilities or CU Inc. were to take advantage of this program, it would increase liquidity beyond the $3 billion of normal course lines of credit that we already have in place. Going forward, Canadian Utilities' financial position is supported by a strong, stable foundation of regulated utility and long-term contracted energy infrastructure investments and services. They provide the platform to continue our long track record of exceptional returns for our share owners. That concludes our prepared remarks, and I'll now turn the call back over to Miles. Thank you, Dennis and Siegfried. And I'll turn the call over now to our conference coordinator for questions. Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. In the interest of time, we ask you limit yourself to two questions. If you have additional questions, you are welcome to rejoin the queue. To join the question queue, you may press star then one on your telephone keypad. You will hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you're using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw from the question queue, please press star then two. Once again, anyone on the conference call who wishes to ask a question may press star 1 at this time. The first question is from Linda Evergalis of TD Securities. Please go ahead. Thank you. Um, I'm just wondering if you could give us a sense of your capital program for the next couple of years. What might be considered a baseline minimum integrity type spend? Uh, that you would not uh, decrease your plan below? And can you give us a sense of the bookends of what sort of level of capital reduction 
uh, might be contemplated depending on how much you know social distancing is required, how much can be deferred uh, to help out your customers. Any sort of context you could provide would be much appreciated. Well, thank you for the question, Linda Siegfried here. Now, I'll let Dennis talk to the, the specifics, but maybe just by way of overview, our capital program would be generally around two-thirds what I would call kind of sustaining maintenance of the existing infrastructure, and about one-third dedicated to growth in terms of adding new customer connections or new facilities. Clearly, the one-third of growth will be a, a difficult thing to forecast depending upon the outcome of this crisis and the duration of the sort of economic impact therefrom. Um, I would say our teams have been very effective at creating protocols to continue to be uh, productive in executing our capital works despite maintaining social distancing. Uh, and, you know, one of the uh, inventive things that came out of this crisis is a little application, uh, you see what I see, which allows our service people to ask our customers through their phone to give them a visual of what's happening with their appliance or their gas service. And that's allowed them to do, one, a lot more diagnostics, and two, in some cases, resolve issues without entering people's homes. So a couple of creative things that have helped there, but I'll let Dennis talk to the specifics of the, the numbers. Thanks, Sig. Um, good morning, Linda. Our, our capital plan for 2020, as you know, is uh, roughly $1.2 billion. That's the same for 2021. Um, Siegfried mentioned you know, one-third of that is growth, two-thirds maintenance capital. Uh, the, the growth, uh, we expect that to soften, definitely, as uh, a lot of our customers have announced pullbacks in their capital programs throughout the province. The, there are also mostly pressures on the maintenance capital as we see the demand for electricity especially reduce, we're very cognizant of the rate impacts on our customers. So to the extent that we can um, defer uh, any maintenance programs into the future, that would go to help uh, our customers with um, be able to afford their bills, especially in these, uh, these tough economic times. So we are looking at all of those elements, and unfortunately, I don't think any of us know the, the depth and length of the, of the pandemic or the consequent uh, economic impacts. So we can't tell you uh, with, with great certainty as to the impacts of our, of our 2020 and 2021 plans at this moment. So sorry, I can't help you with a lot of specificity. Uh, on those numbers. No, that was a very helpful context. Thank you. And um, there's there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, I recall the last time uh, your company uh, faced uh, such uncertainty during the financial crisis, and still had um, it appears uh, better access to the capital debt capital markets than than uh, a number of other entities, most other entities. And so your financial strength has served you well. I'm just wondering, I, I realize that your focus is on uh, safe operations, liquidity, uh, and your continuing operations, but I'm just wondering at what point, what conditions would need to be placed for you to 
forward your strategy of diversifying outside of your core uh, historical geography and potentially deploying the proceeds of uh, uh, some of your recent asset sales uh, to um, potentially opportunistically invest in, in businesses that might be more attractively valued uh, over the next little while uh, than, uh, than you would have been seeing uh, prior to the pandemic. Thank you for that question, Linda. Uh, Siegfried here. I, I would have to say we will continue to take the um, um, very prudent approach to acquisitions uh, to ensure that they are uh, accretive in value to our shareholders. We are uh, clearly in this time of uncertainty, um, have as a priority to remain focused on our liquidity and our, our financial strength which I agree with you will, will differentiate us in, in this sort of economic recovery. And there may indeed be opportunities that present themselves through the economic crisis that would fit our criteria for a strong strategic accretive ac acquisition. Uh, but we will uh, we'll continue to keep our priorities on liquidity and financial strength at the moment. Thank you. I'll jump back in the queue. The next question is from Maurice Choi of RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thank you and good morning. Um, my first question um, is just a carry on from the um, review of capital plans. Um, obviously, you're under a PBR uh, framework for two of the distribution um, companies in Alberta and COS for DR2. Can you discuss how uh, we should view ROEs or achievable ROEs with um, with capital uh, being deferred or delayed. Sorry, Maurice. This is Dennis. I didn't uh, I didn't catch the entirety of your uh, of, of your question. But uh, how about I answer uh, answer what I think I heard on um, on our cost of service companies, our transmission utilities. Our, um, our gas transmission company, we're, we're locked in for 2020 with final rates being set. Um, so we will be applying in, uh, I believe, the second quarter for rates for 2021 and beyond. Um, not a lot of volume risk on the transmission, or neither the electricity nor gas transmission companies. Uh, electricity, we are in the process of our 2020 and beyond general tariff application. Uh, that's proceeding its way through the AUC's processes and we hope to find, hope to have a decision in early 2021 on that. With regards to our PBR companies, the, as, as you're aware under PBR2, the Commission has baked in to our rates, a notional, we'll call it $300 million per year per utility, and that's the average of what we had spent over the initial term of PBR1. <clears throat> to the extent that capital pressures come down for, the, for our gas and electricity distribution companies covered by PBR, the Revenue won't change as a result of that capital, but our costs uh, will go down. Our depreciation will go down. Financing costs will go down. And that delta goes through to the bottom line. We've included those um, uh, upsides or savings in, in the MD&A, and we've uh, 
included them in the operational cost savings category that you see in the descriptors there. So it's uh, the the impact on the PBR companies is also cumulative. So the amounts that we spend more than the notional budget or spend less than the notional budget over each year of the of the five year PBR two framework carries on. So what we do early on in um, the PBR period um, continues to uh, impact earnings throughout that five-year period. So as we go later into the PBR second generation, the impacts could magnify, and that's how we, um, we would expect to see the ability to achieve premium returns um, higher than the approved return continue for those two companies, uh, bearing in mind all the while uh, safe uh, deliverable deliverability of our electricity and natural gas, um, hopefully coming to the point at the end of PBR2 where we will be able to pass on those savings to customers through another um, rate cut as we were able to do coming out of the first generation of PBR. Do you have any follow-ups? Sorry, Maurice. No, that was uh, very clear, and my apologies uh, if my my audio is not as clear. Uh, my, my second question um, relates to dividends. Um, obviously, the company has a 48-year record um, of increasing it. Uh, I doubt you and the board are wanting to give up that crown. But in prior disclosures, um, dividend growth is tied to the growth of your assets. Um, so if if indeed we do see 2020 capex, um, you know, coming down or or be lowered, um, how how should we view the potential for for next year's dividend growth? Yeah, I mean you're uh, you're right. In our uh, in our MDNA, we um, we're, we're pretty clear in that we're aiming to grow dividends in line with our sustainable earnings growth. Um, if you hold the returns on equity f- flat, the growth in CU would mainly come from that rate based growth, and as we've been discussing, a potential pullback on our capital um, that in turn. Uh, could or will inform uh, future dividend increases. Bearing in mind, um, when we do approach our board of directors for uh, our with our recommended dividend increases, we do look at the long-term outlook for um, for the company and our earnings, the credit rating strength, as well as the payout ratio. So there are a number of factors beyond just. Um, in one-year earnings when we go to our board of directors recommending our dividend amounts. Thank you very much. Thanks, Maurice. The next question is from Mark Jarvie of CIBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thanks. Uh, good morning. So it seems like you guys are implying that the transmission utilities are pretty resilient and gas the gas distribution is a bit more resilient given its connections and we're past sort of the peak peak season here in the winter. So it comes to electricity distribution as being the most economically sensitive. Is that, is that correct? And maybe 
there any initial data, whether it's smart metering data, to show what has happened to volumes and loads in the last the month and a half here? Um, good morning, Mark. We don't have um, we don't have clear data from uh, the demand on the electricity and gas uh, businesses uh, in, in detail since um, April 1st. The gas distribution division, about 80% of their revenues comes from uh, our residential customers through their fixed and variable charges. Um, given that, they are, they are more resilient than the electricity distribution company, where, let's say, over two-thirds of their revenue is from industrial and large commercial customers. There are some protections on the electricity uh, distribution company to protect them from falling demands through contracts and ratchets that they have in place that uh, necessitate the size of facilities that are, are put into those customers. So there's some protection there. Included in the um, PBR framework, there's also an ability to apply for recovery of costs due to exogenous events beyond management's control. And those costs, which we have been able to successfully recover from, uh, from customers, um, include lost revenue. We're able to recover lost revenue through the Calgary floods and the Fort McMurray fires. Um, we believe that this pandemic and consequent uh, economic collapse qualifies as uh, an exogenous event, and we would be looking for some regulatory protection with regards to potential lost revenue. That being said, once you get into the regulatory um, process, uh, nothing is, uh, is a guarantee, that's for sure. That's helpful. Are you implying then you've seen enough pressure on volumes, or you think there might be that you would have to go to the, the dead vector exogenous um, events application? And then maybe just, can you just provide a bit more detail on this uh, deferral bill that's gone through in terms of how that impacts EPS and cash flow, maybe? Um, sure. Um, in order to qualify for those uh, Z factor applications to cover recover costs through exogenous events, it needs to meet a materiality factor, and those factors are different for each of uh, electricity and gas. And I'm sorry, I don't know those uh, those thresholds off the off the top of my head, but I'll say they're relatively low, like in the $5 million kind of a range. So we would need to take a look at what that cumulative impact on revenues and potential costs, I would, uh, I would imagine, to see what that net impact or what the, uh, what the gross impact for any significant element would be before uh, we would be able to indicate whether that um, Z factor would be applied for or not. The second question with regards to the uh, utility bill deferral, um, there, uh, as we are right now, um, final terms yet to be uh, um, ironed out 
and announced by the government, we do not believe that there would be any impact on earnings as a result of the utility bill deferral. It would just be an, uh, a, a timing difference on the cash. If we were asked to um, to backstop the lack of cash flows coming from uh, the bill deferral, uh, we would look to be recovering our costs, uh, all of our costs, which uh, which would include uh, a fair return for providing that backstop. The way it's leaning right now, it doesn't appear that there would be significant call on the utilities for the um, backstopping of the utility bills that would come from government or government agencies um, as it's currently thought of. But uh, as I say, those final terms have not yet been announced. We expect them shortly. The program was announced on March 18th and was effective March 18th. So uh, we're all looking for uh, certainty and clarity as that moves through the process, and we hope to have that uh, in very short order. Okay, we'll watch for that. Thanks. Thanks, Mark. The next question is from Patrick Kenny of National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Yeah, good morning, guys. Um, so notwithstanding the, uh, the mountain of uncertainty out there right now, and I know it just came out yesterday, but wondered if we can get your initial thoughts on Alberta's plan to relaunch the economy and how at least phase one uh, and potentially phase two might mitigate any lost revenue over the coming quarters if all goes well. Well, thank you, Patrick. Siegfried here. Um, you know, I think that's a question that's looming heavy on everyone's mind at the moment is um, – what are the risks inherent with the various scenarios around uh, relaunching or, or uh, relaxing the uh, isolation measures that are in place today? Uh, I'd have to say that I think a, a wise approach is indeed uh, one that will continue to measure as you go through the different phases, the, the impacts or implications of, of the relaxation. And to the extent that Alberta is extremely well positioned from a testing perspective relative to other parts of Canada and the world, um, I think we'll have a, a pretty good measure on the success or the ability to continue on the phased rollout of the relaxation. All that being said, I think it uh, doesn't take much of a setback to uh, have you revert and elongate the uh, the isolation piece. So I'd hate to speculate on the design of the different programs across Canada and how successful they'll be. I think every province faces a slightly different circumstance. And, um, I'll leave it to the health authorities to determine how aggressive they want to be in, in their rollout plans. But thanks right. for the question. It's, it's weighing heavy on everyone's mind. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, fingers crossed. All goes well. Um, and then maybe just to touch on uh, the exposure to the oil and gas activity levels here. So, you know, based on the production curtailments that have been announced publicly so far by various oil sands producers and, and other E&P companies. Would you have an internal forecast as to you know how much demand destruction 
we could see for your electricity distribution business um, and perhaps maybe how, how much of that loss could be offset by you know some higher residential load um, at least until the kids go back to school and get off the video games uh, my short answer is no I don't have a forecast um, the uh, you know it, it goes into our our capital plans for disconnects. We we didn't see uh, much of any um, softening in the revenue for Q1. We you know while I said earlier we don't have any um, hard data indicating the um, the last kind of six weeks that we'd be able to extrapolate and. Um, come up with a, a forecast for the year and beyond. Um, the crisis will probably uh, not be solved by the end of this year. Um, then we go into when will there be a recovery, a full recovery in Alberta. And I think most would, most prognosticators would go later rather than sooner on that. Um, we did talk about the um, regulatory protections um, that the distribution companies can avail themselves to with respect to the exogenous events. Um, we would accumulate those uh, um, lost revenues and costs for the related to the pandemic, and we may be in front of the Alberta Utilities Commission with another Z factor. That doesn't help the cash situation um, until such time as that would be resolved. Um, if you uh, look at that relative decrease in cash, even coming from a large pullback, uh, we have uh, over $3 billion in cash and committed credit credit committed credit facilities that uh, most certainly would be able to weather weather the storm. I don't think that the revenue in and of it that lost or curtailed the revenue um, wouldn't um, wouldn't get anywhere near the three billion dollars uh, given the given the proportion that the oil and gas sector um, contributes to our revenue. But it's um, it's cumulative. Um, we are we are looking at it, and we'll see how the uh, how much production does indeed go forward in the in the remaining quarters of this year, and the potential for it to carry on into into future years. So it sounds like um, you're definitely ranking liquidity ahead of. Strategic M&A, and that you know the billion dollars of cash that you're sitting on today is is going to be is going to be there until you have further clarity as to the uh, the depth of this downturn. Um, Zigfried mentioned it uh, earlier, you know, with regards to to the strategic M&A. Um, we're always, um, you know, we've positioned our company for long-term sustainable growth. We were able to conclude those asset sales last year. Having the uh, additional billion dollars in the bank is of great comfort uh, in days like these. But we are also mindful of the of the future. 
um, the storm shall pass. Um, we do have the financial strength to weather that storm and um, keep our eyes out for the long-term growth of the of the company. So once the uh, once we do get a better read uh, on the impacts of COVID and whether there's a second wave or a third wave on uh, reopening the economies and and how that all plays out and the recovery in the price of oil and how our customers respond um, yeah we'll uh, we'll certainly be in a better position uh, that does that won't take up all of our liquidity and all of our powder um, as we go and continue to um, look to grow the company for long-term value for our share owners. It's a, it, it is a balance. Okay. That's great. Thanks, Dennis. Thanks. Siegfried. Thanks, Pat. Once again, if you have a question, please press star then one. The next question is from Andrew Kuski of Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, obviously, you've both been in the industry for a, a long time, and you've seen a number of economic cycles, and clearly there's some attributes on this one that are similar, and there's a lot of things that are very different. But when you put the context of what you can see now from you know, bad debts, customer defaults in the current environment, how does that stack up versus some of the past downturns and past cycles you've seen? Um it's a great, great question, uh, Andrew, and, and I'd have to say that we are still very early days in this, in this cycle, and I think so much of it will depend upon what, what the relaxation and what the restart of businesses, uh, how that scenario unfolds, uh, that it's a little tough to compare against full cycle um, economic uh, downturns that we've seen before. Um, there are a number of different scenarios around how the recovery will take hold. Um, uh, you know, a simple example would be just how quickly can we put the unemployed back to work in the province and what will that unemployment run rate be for the next little while? And so there are a number of things to watch here that, um, uh, you know, it, it's difficult in my mind to kind of give you a comparison. Is this going to be tougher. Uh, I certainly think it, it will be more difficult on Alberta than the 08-09 financial crisis, which we we seem to be able to, for the most part, escape a significant amount of the impact of that. Um, but it, it really depends upon what the recovery uh, unfolds, uh, how it unfolds, and how quickly that happens, in my mind. So not a very definitive answer, but this one will be different. Okay, appreciate that. And and then, then uh, Dennis, you mentioned the Bank of Canada's commercial paper purchase program. I think I got all the P's in there. Um, did you only mention that in the context of that's a potential liquidity factor in the event that the market freezes and you would be eligible for that? Yeah, Andrew, that would be in addition to um, to the three billion dollars that we have for liquidity. It's just uh, an, an additional uh, supportive measure that we have uh, given uh, given the strength and quality of uh, of the CU name. Okay, pre appreciate the clarification on that. Thank you. Next 
is a follow-up question from Linda Evergalis of TD Securities. Please go ahead. Thank you. Um, I realize there's uncertainty related to the generic cost of capital proceeding, but I'm wondering uh, if you can get a sense of um, what factors would need to be in place for that to resume, if, if you've received any sense from the regulator, and if for some reason um, it's deferred substantially, I'm wondering if there's an expectation that perhaps the current framework um, for establishing an ROE would uh, apply to 2021, if you can provide any context, whether it be from any discussions um, you have with stakeholders or just based on your uh, understanding of the regulatory um, environment in Alberta, uh, it would be appreciated. Well, Linda, I would, uh, it's Siegfried here, and I will pass it to Dennis because he is far closer to the regulatory ins and outs. But uh, I'd have to say from my perspective that the the challenge in trying to set a return um, and equity thickness commensurate with market for 2021 is not about the uh, not being able to physically have hearings and people in the same rooms. It, it's going to be about can the market signals be properly read to give you any confidence in what that decision should be. Uh, we've seen such disruption in the debt markets, in the capital markets, um, and for me, it's it's how can you um, properly assess the evidence uh, to come up with a well-reasoned decision that you can be comfortable with will be appropriate in the 2021 timeframe, given that we're uh, nine months left before that period starts, and I don't I don't see things settling down at the moment. But I'll turn it to Dennis because he's he's much closer to the process. Um, great question, Linda. You know, in, um, in in mid March, the AUC suspended it, the GCOC proceeding indefinitely. Said they would revisit it every sixty days, thirty to sixty days. Um, we responded with um, the, the need to have prospectivity and certainty, and. All of our um, kind of comments are uh, and encouragement for the Utilities Commission are in that vein. The, the first 30 days passed and the AUC asked for comments to be filed yesterday. And all of the utilities um, recommended that the existing parameters be extended to 2021 on a final basis. So carry on the 37% equity and 8.5% return as final for next year. All of the customer groups um, indicated that they needed uh, more time uh, to update their evidence given the uh, economic certainties that we're faced with now compared to the conditions that were in place in January when their initial evidence was filed. We don't know how the AUC is going to proceed with that, um, but we know that our um, customers, our investors, we're all looking for certainty within which that we can um, operate uh, safely and effectively. Um, The 
fair return standard with regards to having a, a attraction and retention of capital um, in these volatile times, we'll say is it's even more important that we do uh, bolster the regulatory certainty that we have in this province and uh, strongly encouraging the, uh, the Utilities Commission to make sure that our, uh, that our province stays open for business and, uh, and help out by getting, giving the utilities the certainty uh, and prospectivity that re- we require. Well, thank you for that context. I, I hope they hear you. Um, and that's my question. Thank you. Thanks, Linda. This concludes the question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Mr. Miles Dukin for any closing remarks. Thank you, operator. And uh, thank you all all of you for participating today. Uh, Just a reminder, uh, next Wednesday, May 6th at 10 a.m. Mountain Time is our uh, Canadian Utilities Annual uh, Meeting. It's a virtual meeting, so you can uh, log in um, on our website. And um, thanks for your interest in our first quarter conference call today, and we look forward to speaking with you again soon. Bye for now. This concludes today's conference call. You may disconnect your lines. Thank you for participating, and have a pleasant day. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.